God, thank you for being here today. Thank you for showing up in our lives that um, when we are weak, you are strong. Thank you for stirring up emotions within us to surrender more, to trust more, to believe more during worship. I ask that you give us eyes to see today, hearts to posture before you, to want to listen, fertile soil, feet that are willing to run in obedience, God, minds to comprehend your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in Exodus again today. We are in Exodus 4. And you may say, Joey, you know, we're on Exodus 4, and this is the fourth week. So are we just going to take Exodus every week? I mean, that's like a year worth of sermons almost. We're not. But I keep on um, studying, and as you read, you're like, well, I've met my mark, and I'm through, you know, two verses already. So practicing to try to meet our, our new service time. We want to be out by 11.30 every week so you can get home to that potluck or be the first one in line at Chipotle. So, uh, you know, because it's a 22-minute drive from here. Well, how do you know it's 22 minutes? Don't you bother me. 22 minutes from here, so that'll get you there before the Baptist churches, the Pentecostal churches, and uh, whatever. So we want to have a short service, um, short service so we're practicing, you know, limiting kind of the material that we go through. Nevertheless, Exodus 4 today, and I just want to catch you up. Kind of the main theme that I want to talk about today is um, God's omnipotent, omnipotence, sorry, might often flows through obedience of ours rooted in faith. God moves powerfully in our obedience that is rooted in faith in him. That's the core purpose of today's message. God's power is seen in our lives when, our, um, when we're obedient. Obedience is rooted in faith. Nevertheless, let's just uh, go over a little bit the uh, past couple weeks. So Moses doesn't really know who Yahweh is, Right? Um, where he's from in Egypt, there's a lot of gods. A god of fish, and a god of the sun, and the god of the moon, and the god of the dust storm, and the god of food. I mean, there's just really gods for anything. So now he encounters the real God, Yahweh, and this is some of the things we learn about who, who God is, and he identifies. God identifies himself, and this is how he says it. He says, I am who I am. He identifies his distinctness. This is holy ground. Take off your sandals. Don't come any closer. His omniscience. Able to see what is happening. Right? So he's seeing what's happening somewhere else when he's not there. He says this, I have seen the oppression. He also said the Egyptians will not budge unless my might Mighty hands do wonders. So he's seeing things without necessarily even being present. So he's revealing a characteristic about his. His promises. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Another promise of Egypt will let you go. His plan to rescue. He says, I have heard their cry. 
And this is all in chapter 3. His promise to be with Moses. Isn't that, I think that's one of the best promises in that uh, chapter. His promise to be with Moses. As I look at faces across the room and I see challenging seasons, um, and even I'm looking at the man in the mirror, right, and I see challenging seasons. That promise is what gets me through all of them. His promise to be with me. We have to remember that today, that, that God has a promise to be with you as well. His promise to be with you is what's going to get you through. Amen? He is with you. God continues, and he was very specific in this chapter. He was specific to the plan of Moses. He said, go to the Hebrews. And he said, assemble the elders. And then if you read through, you'll start seeing uh, chapter 3. You'll see some of that stuff. And then in chapter 3, God talks to Moses, and he says, uh, Moses was where? He was at the far side of the wilderness, or the back side of the wilderness. So we, we pushed the idea last week that he might have been in a midlife crisis, that there was... Um, yeah, that there was a midlife crisis or he was confused, right? How many of us have had our midlife crisis? Quarter-life crisis? Midweek crisis, fine, better. Who's had their midweek crisis, Sunday crisis? We've all been there. We all may be there. Moses is there within this story. So then God wants to try to send him to do something. A guy in his midlife crisis God is calling to do something who's at the backside of the wilderness as far away from people as he possibly can be. And God calls him to do something. Now, I don't know about you guys, but whenever God calls me to do something, I have to feel like I haven't sinned in two weeks. I feel better prepared when I don't sin for a week. Don't you? Moses is at the backside of the wilderness and a burning bush shows up, and it's the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord, God speaking to him, is sending him. Moses says, well, who am I? He had doubt. He had fear. He felt unqualified. How many of us feel that each day? Doubt, fear, and unqualified. In many situations, Doubt, fear, and unqualified. He had apprehension. In verse 13 of chapter 3, he says, Suppose I uh, go and do what you say, who should I call you? Apprehension was, suppose I go. I hear you, but suppose I do it. I don't think suppose is saying, I'm 100% doing it. Suppose is still counting the cost. I think we've all been there as well. Well, God, suppose I, um, I do this for that person, then what are you going to do? See, in chapter 2, we saw a Moses that was really eager and zealous to kind of push his way into things, right? Dude saw someone, he's like, I'm going to knock your block off, bro. Killed him, threw him under some sand, buried him, right? stepped into it. Then what happened? Then he sees some two Hebrews fighting, and he gets ready to step into that. He's like, hey, what are you doing? 
They're like, oh, so you're going to kill us like the other person. He stepped into it. And then he sees a well and some women at the well. And what did he do? He stepped into being the protector, the guardian. But now, in chapter 3, what do we see? The dude that was once, once zealous, once wanting to be in the action, has now gone from that to the far side, to the back side. Doesn't that feel like um, typical Christianity? You're there, you're passionate, you're fiery, you're ready. You literally, look, I care about everyone in this room. I do. But there were, there were seasons in my life where, where I would weep over everyone in this room. Tears down my face. Why? Because there was passion, there was zeal, there was excitement. I wanted to throw myself in and be everything that God created me to be for that person. But then you do life, and life gets tough, and seasons come, and some decisions that you make don't get you to good places. So now all you want to do is run to the backside. You want to escape. I bet that 99% of people in here are in that season. You're not swayed by what God says is true in your life. You're swayed based upon how you feel about the decisions you made in your life. Therefore, you respond to the decisions and throw yourself to the backside of a situation rather than living out of who God has called you to be. And what's getting really exciting about this story is God calls Moses in spite of. We're not Moses in here. And we shouldn't uh, ever try to become Moses either. But a characteristic of Christ that we can see in Moses' story is in spite of Moses' shortcomings, God still sent him. And guess what? <laughs> in spite of the shortcomings, God was still frustrated with him that he wouldn't be obedient. And just because there might have been someone else better prepared like his Brother Aaron, God still called him to do it. There's a calling on your life that God has put in your life for you to live out. And your calling is always, your calling is something that will always leave you shorthanded. You're never going to step into your calling that you're fully prepared to do. Because if you could fully do it, you wouldn't have to depend on God. And what we learned for the first week is God's never going to put you in a place that you're not dependent on him. Does that make sense? Your calling is always going to fall short of being able to complete the task itself. You're going to need to be dependent on God. God, take this away, take this away, take this away. He's not. He's called you to do it. And what he wants you to do is to walk through it and see his faithfulness in it. And that's the journey that Moses has to accept here. And that's where we kind of find ourselves here in chapter 4. Moses is still um, conversing with God about whether to accept it or not. I was emailing the elders this week, or last week, because it's Sunday, and Sunday starts the new week. 
So I was emailing them, and I said this, I just want to see our church live a life by greater faith. And then, then I even mentioned in there, I said, look, sometimes you can give your 10% or you can give your 15%. You can give your tithe faithfully, right? But just because you, if, if you give your tithe long enough, it no longer becomes about faith. It just becomes about principle. You're no longer living necessarily by faith because you're just writing the check and you're giving it. Faith is this idea of really, really, really needing by God, needing God to prevail. So you know what living by faith would be? Maybe if, if it's 10% this year, and, and look, don't think I'm trying to get in your pockets here, I'm not. Maybe if it's 10% this year, maybe to truly live by faith and trust God and need him in that area, maybe next year I need to give 15% and say, God, show up. And I, I don't want to share this story because this story, uh, I don't want it to be about me, but I want to share it as a teaching thing. Um, I have a really awesome watch and I really like it. And um, I've been wanting the new version. This is just a generation one watch, right? Well, I want the generation four. So Macy and I have been talking about it and trying to save money for it and wrestling with getting this watch. Practicality says this, save your pennies, Put them together, put it here on one side, and then take your money and then buy the watch once you have enough. I'm in this meeting a couple weeks ago. Um, Macy always asks me, how do you always have cash in your pocket? And I'm like, literally, God keeps on putting cash in my pocket. I don't know how. She's like, well, that's interesting. I'm like, true story. God literally keeps on putting money in my pocket. not like, I'm not saying like, and then suddenly I open my wallet, but through blessings. <laughs> like, huh? Here, huh? There it is again. Joey's got a money tree wallet. So what ended up happening was this, is I'm at this meeting with these men, and uh, there's like 12 men around, and God convicted my heart. He said, give all the cash in your wallet away. So then I'm in this meeting trying to participate, and I'm like, wait a second. I don't want to give any of this money away. I want this watch. And I have to even get like, I have to get to at least 85% of my own money, like just random money before then I can even consider asking Macy for more. Like we, we have the same bank account, but it's like, hey Macy, you know, like I've randomly gathered through small projects this cash. I'm at like 87%. What do you think about the other 13%? Well, (laughs) and she's always honoring in that. Um, And she's very wise and studious in our bank um, oversight as well. And I mean that. So either way, God's like, give it all away, give it all all away, give it all away. And I'm like, no, wait a second. I don't want to do this at all. God, I want this watch. Give it all away. God, I want this watch. Give it all away. And here's here's what I started to... uh, see within my heart is I wasn't living by faith and I wasn't living by trust. I was living by sight. I began to live this life that was so practical that I could say that one plus one equals two and I knew how to get two, right? So what I did is I said, well, how about I don't give away the ones? Like, let me at least keep the ones because to give away all your money, you at least want it to be like a solid number, right? (laughs) Like, here's blah, 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 blah and three dollars and 57 cents. 
give it all away. So you know what I did? I gave it all away by faith. Not by faith that I'll get a watch, but by faith that my offering to Christ was worth it. By faith that God was going to use that money that I emptied my wallet with to serve, to serve him and to bring life to another person. I wasn't going to hold on to it. Faith is not things that you can see. Faith is, is creating this gap between the thing that you hope for and the situation that you're in, and you say Christ is going to fill it. So then um, later in the week, um, I stumbled upon more money than I gave out. Someone randomly gave me some more money. And I told Macy, if I don't spend this now, I'm going to give it away again. <laughs> Faith. You know how fun it was to, to give out some money and then watch God give it back? Because whose money is it? It's his. And I believe that the more that we're willing to live in faith and to give, then the more money that's going to flow through us into the world. Because if God, if God can bless thousands through you in your finances, instead of God just blessing you, then he's going to send more money your way. Nevertheless, I digress. Faith, a life of faith is paramount. Obedience is paramount. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to uh, Exodus chapter four. I'm gonna read a bunch of it. <coughs> I'm gonna try to read a bunch of it. And then uh, we'll just work through some of it and then we'll be done. So chapter four, verse one through 14. All right. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand. And take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and uh, it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that you may believe that the, um, that the Lord, the God of their father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous, and it had become white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you, or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour out on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor the... Uh, I have never been eloquent. 
I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouth? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speech. <laughs> yes, I will help you speak. And I will tell you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Please, Lord, send someone else. Just a side note real quick. You know how many times I've thought about people coming up here and reading the long scriptures for me? I'm serious. We can laugh about it. Every week when I have a long scripture, I say, why me, God? Send someone else. Macy can do it. Macy can read it for me. You want to know why? True story. I was in like additional reading classes growing up. I wasn't a good reader. I, I think I didn't retain much knowledge growing up because I was always pre-prepping my three words that I had to read. But Moses said, but Moses said, but Moses said, but Moses said, right? And then the teacher gets to me and then I could say my three words. But said Moses, oh shoot. <laughs> said Moses, but there, there was something about it, right? I'm doing fine. I am getting better, thank you. Practice, process. What I'm saying is, is I understand what Moses is saying here in a small degree. I don't feel eloquent. I don't feel qualified. I don't feel like I, I'm the best reader here. You're lucky there ain't no word with four syllables. I'd be in trouble. Then the, Lord, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you. And it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hands so you can perform the signs with it. Like Moses Similar to Moses, we all have fears about what God's calling us to. We all have fears of what God's calling us to. And one of, one of the um, greatest fears is public speaking. So when God calls us to walk out the Great Commission, what do we say? But why me, God? I can't talk to anyone. I'm not eloquent. I'm not a pastor. I can't really pray. Have you ever heard Pastor Lyndon pray? That stuff's on point. But my prayer, my prayer is not very good. I don't even know what to say. We've all been there. We all feel that. We all sense that in everything that we do, in our workplace, within our family, within our friendships, within our church. Our tendency when this happens, though, when God calls us to do something, is to make excuses. 
Don't you guys? You may, oh, well, you know what? I'm going to make some donuts tonight. Can't really come out on the mission walk. Or I'm going to rewatch Friends season three for the 15th time. I just have to be there. What were some of Moses' excuses? Let's look at it. Verse 1, he talked about, but what if I'm not effective, right? God, what if I am not effective? They won't listen to me. You guys ever worry about your effectiveness in ministry? What if they reject me? What if they don't receive it? Verse 10, we see that Moses didn't think that he had the skills. How often do you think that you don't have the skills to spread the gospel, to preach the good news, to encourage a brother or sister? What did he say? He said, I am not eloquent. I am slow of speech and tongue. And I really think this. Moses was, was far away from people for a long time, right? He was at the backside of the wilderness alone. So you figure like 40 years in this wilderness. Guess what he probably thought? I don't know how to relate to that generation of people. He probably heard them playing their spoons and drums, right? Their bagpipes. And he's like, that dang rap music. <laughs> that dang rap music. <laughs> There had to be this distance that he felt like he's been away for so long that he can't relate to anyone. And what I want to say is this, is to the younger generation, just because people are older than you doesn't mean that God can't send you and use you to, to bring life and truth and um, change to be broken. I don't care how many years are between. An older generation, just because you liked ACDC and Sticks and Boston doesn't mean that you can't relate to young Jeezy. What I'm saying is there's no gap, no matter how far you've been away, no matter the distance set between this generation and that generation, the distance between doesn't really matter because what we're relating in is Christ. And we can't continue to say that I can't speak to this generation or I can't speak to that generation because they're so different than you or I. The power comes through preaching Christ, not by how well you can relate to someone. The power comes through speaking about Christ, not how well you can relate to someone. Moses had to feel like he was no longer relevant. See, this Moses that we're seeing now, it really feels like he seemed to lost some zeal. Chapter two, we saw a lot of it. Now in chapter four, he's trying not, he, he just doesn't even, he wants to be overlooked. He wants to sit where he's at. He wants to be where he's at. He doesn't want, he doesn't want people to bother him. I can be there. And actually, what I see happening in this generation is that we don't want to be bothered. I remember growing up, every weekend when we'd be out back working with the animals, you, any given uh, week, would have three to five people stop by. You don't have that anymore. We all want to be left alone with our families, and we justify simple ministry to our families and that being it. 
And several years ago, I found myself not in a depression, but in this unique season where um, freshly learning the pressures of ministry, all I wanted to go do on my days off was just sit home and just be like, I need to refresh. I need to get away from people. And that went on for like three months. And then what I started to realize is every time I would say I want to re refresh and I need away from people, there was something in me that just felt like my life's amounting to nothing. I need to get out and I need to see people. But I succumbed to the idea of just staying away from people. I just need my time. I just need my time. And then God spoke to me very clearly. He said, Joey, how does the enemy hunt? He hunts like a roaring lion and he seeks to uh, devour his enemy by isolating them from the pack. You know what I wasn't doing? I wasn't being isolated by Satan. What was I doing? I was isolating myself. I said, I don't need people. All I need is my immediate family. All I need is time to myself, isolate myself. I was actually performing the work of Satan in my own life by isolating myself and positioning myself to be devoured by the enemy. No matter how much you think that you need to always be away from people, I believe that that's unbiblical. Never forsake encouragement and fellowship with believers. There's something about this. There's something about Tuesdays like this. There's something about Wednesdays. There's something about Thursdays. Don't forsake it. As much as you want to be alone and as much, if you think that you need to be alone for two weeks straight, I would say that you're deceived. And I don't say that like, oh, you're deceived. I say that like, ask God to reveal the areas to you that you are deceived. Because we get to be with each other for eternity and walk in community. But Moses is no longer jumping at these actions. He's in this weird season of the wilderness. He seemed content with just doing the day in and the day out, tending to the flock, taking care of his duties. But see, the process that God was sending Moses down was, on, was not on his terms, but it was on God's terms. And what I've learned is that serving God from a worldly standpoint is easier on our terms, though it's not better. See, it's, it's easy just to uh, simply as a Christian listen to K-Love and then like a Christian post on Facebook or share a Christian post that says you'll go to heaven if you share this post or represent Jesus Christ if you love him and share this post. It's easier to be that Christian, right? It's easier in the about, in your uh, Facebook bio, in your Instagram bio to put, I'm a Christian. Because that's on your terms, what about a life in Christ on his terms? His terms are scary. His terms require risk. His terms require faith. But as I live there, I get to learn more about his character. Guess what? Guess what I really trust? I trust that when God calls me to give money away, what's he going to do? He's going to give it back. Now, how do I know that? Like, this is so simple, but it's so hard for us. How do I know that? Because he did it. Because I took a risk. Because I said, here's all my money. And then God said, here's your money back. If I never took that risk, then I never would have knew that God is the provider for me financially. Does that make sense? 
You can only discover and you can only walk in greater intimacy with God the more you're willing to risk things from a biblical way in your life. Now, I'm not saying go out and get a multi-million dollar loan based upon your flesh and say that God's gonna fix it. But the more that you're willing to walk in God's will for your life and the places that he sent you, I don't ever see you in need of anything other than him. It's hard and it's challenging to live in Christ's terms when we fight it. Don't fight it anymore. Don't fight it. I found myself in a situation earlier this week where I was able to um, speak the gospel with some close friends. You know, it's really hard to preach the gospel to close friends and uh, people you care about the most sometimes because they might think you're weird. They might, might not like you. But once you do it, you just say it was well worth it. A life on Christ's terms, not yours, Christ's terms. Moses was being challenged to trust God with being sent. We are being challenged, the church, MCF, the World Wide Web, because we're live streaming. You're being challenged to trust God with where he's sending you. Will you do it? See, in spite of Moses' protest, in spite of your protest, right, God saw and God sees that as people, we are still the uh, person for the job. God saw that Moses, in spite of his protest, was still the person for the job. And in spite of your protest, you are still the person for the, God, uh, the job that God's created for your life. So point number one is this, is God is the one who qualifies you to do his work. It's not about how prepared you are. It's not about even how you feel about the job. It's not even about your experience. What qualifies you? God. God qualifies you for the mission of ministering to your neighbor. You are not too young. You are not too old. You are not too rich. You're like, amen, preach. You are not too poor. You are not too good at speaking or bad at speaking. When God calls you to do something, you get to see him at work in spite of your inadequacies. When it's in your strengths, it's about you. When it's through your inadequacies, it's Christ made strength. It's uh, Christ in your, uh, in your weakness made strong. It's about Christ. So we're working on the last point, then we're going to get out of here. I want to go back to verse 1. And this, this has really been a theme of my life uh, for the past 10 years. And I, I, I hope a foundational belief for this church moving forward is um, we find ourselves here in this story where God is telling Moses to do some interesting things. And um, Moses has seen God to this point. He's seen him in the bur burning bush. So we're at 4 verse 1. So God's seen Moses or Moses seen God in the burning bush. So he hasn't seen a lot of God providing and prevailing in who he really is. 
And this is what he says. He says, look, um, put your hand in your cloak. Okay? He says, take your stick, throw it on the ground. Okay? Simple obedience. I believe that obedience in God's power is uh, not only manifested through faith, right? But it's in simple obedience. See, God can't trust you with the 10,000 if he can't trust you with throwing a cloak on the ground. And God can't trust you with a billion dollars if he can't trust that you'll give 20 away. Are you willing to pursue simple obedience in your life at the risk of you being wrong? We have all been around people who do a lot of talking. God's done a lot of talking to Moses right now in chapter 3. What we need to quit doing, this is very important, is we need to quit and realize that uh, we need to quit telling ourselves that if we saw a miracle like this person or that person, that we would fully trust God. How many of you guys have ever said that? Well, if I would just see a miracle... If I would just see a miracle or, 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 then I would just fully trust God. Many of us have said that. Moses was just in the burning bush or saw the burning bush. And in spite of having this like genuine, there was no interpretation needed here. Like this is a burning bush that's not burning up. This is God. He had this genuine encounter. And in spite of this genuine encounter, he still had doubts. Don't think that you still have to make the choice to believe God. Don't think that just because a burning bush shows up in your life that then you become this robot and you just automatically serve God, you still have to choose. Nevertheless, Moses saw a miracle, he talked to God, yet he still didn't believe. He rationalized why he wasn't the man. We need to possess faith, trust, and obedience. And many of you are familiar with Hebrews 11.1 1, where it says, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I was thinking about doing the trust fall and uh, we're not gonna do it for the sake of time but I was gonna have Eric come up here and uh, Ron come up here and Sammy come up here and Garrett make sure that um, Garrett's not right here so he wouldn't get flattened. And I was just going to fall back. The trust fall, faith, that my boys aren't going to let me down. So he said, throw your staff on the ground. Think about that. Does God speak to us today by raise of hands? Now look, I'm not saying, I'm not asking does God speak to you specifically because I know that some people in here don't know if they can hear God's voice. But as a church, do we believe that God is still speaking to his people today? Praise God. So if God is still speaking to the church today, the global church today, then that means that God could speak the way that he's getting ready to speak to Moses. 
everything that God speaks to us about doesn't have to be this grand scheme of things. All he did is he said, throw your staff on the ground. And what did Moses do? What did Moses do? He threw it on the ground. And then what happened? It turned into a snake. That's a miracle. God made a stick on the ground turn into a snake. Not only is God revealing who he is, but now there's a miracle. Moses has been a shepherd for many years. Many, 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 many years. What does scripture say that he did? He ran from it. Why would a shepherd run from a snake? After he's probably uh, killed worse. I mean, I just don't think the shepherd had the perfect life of just like, oh, just here, here's your grain. Here's Bud, here's, uh, Bud White's special grain. It's going to make you grow up nice and big and strong, and you're going to win a lot of championships. It's not the Bud White um, grain. What is it, though? It's protecting. You like that, Shelly? It is good stuff. What is it, though? It's protecting maybe lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Just not a snake. But he ran from the snake. It had to be one gnarly snake, right? Deadly. And then what did God say? Look, I'm going to give you something simple first. I'm going to give you something pretty simple. Just throw your stick on the ground. And now that you saw that I turned the stick into a snake, now I want you to do something different. I want you to grab the tail of this snarly snake. So what did he do? He grabbed this tail of the gnarly snake, and it turned back into the stick, back into the staff. Your obedience... And the more that you're willing to obedient, the more you're going to see God's power at work within your life. So then he says, look, take your hand, put it in your pocket. Now take it out of your pocket. <gasps> leprosy. Now put it back in your pocket. No leprosy. God's power is at work in your life when you're willing to simply obey. Joey, empty your pockets. Donna, empty your pockets. She's like, I ain't got none. <laughs> That's easy. <laughs> Joey, talk to your neighbor. Donna, talk to your neighbor. Give away a car. Give away this. Give away that. Simple obedience. Maybe God says this. Maybe, maybe today God says throw your purse on the ground. So you throw your purse on the ground and nothing happens. And you're like, well, I didn't hear God. That's okay. You're going to learn how to hear God's voice now. I believe that God still speaks to us in simple ways like throw your stick on the ground today because he has to start somewhere. He's not, gonna, he's not going to tell you to go to James Bond and beat him up and lead him to Christ. Because there's a good chance you'd be, you would never be able to find him. And two, you'd get beat up. You'd be afraid. Simple obedience. The more that we're willing, as you see in the story, the story's gonna progress with simple obedience to great obedience. 
And some of this obedience is going to Pharaoh that we're going to find out and saying, look, you better do this or God, God's, God's at you, boy. You better do this. God's going to do something. Let my people go. I don't think Moses would have ever have even considered that unless he had this encounter in the first place. Encounters change things. They change the way that, that we see life and that we do life. But we still have to make a choice after that encounter to be obedient. God's power f- flows through the place of our obedience. A key life principle that I desire my life to be marked by is obedience established in faith. God, this doesn't make sense to me. God, I don't understand, but I'll do it. Many of us probably even argue that God doesn't speak to us this way today. But fruit comes after obedience. The power of God often manifests itself when, I'm going to say it again, obedience is established in faith. I mean, for example, what if God said this? What if today he's like, hey, put your left foot in. Put your left foot out. Put your left hand in. Put your left hand out. And then what if he said, and then shake it all about and do the hokey pokey and turn yourself about. What if he said to do something that silly? Would you do it? I want to do it. And he... I think he's telling Moses to kind of do the hokey pokey. Put your hand in your cloak. Pull your hand on out. Put your hand on in your cloak and leprosy's all gone. Is that how it worked? That's right. By faith, I believe that as I put my hand in my coat, by obedience, God will show up in a powerful way. By faith, I want us as a church to believe that the simple things that we're obedient in, God's going to show up. You have to be willing to take a risk for God to show up. You have to be willing to take a risk. Faith. I had faith that God was going to prevail when I emptied my pockets. I had faith that God was going to prevail when he said, give your vacuum away rather than buy someone a vacuum. You know what would have been easier for me to do? Just buy this vacuum instead of give one up. It's an easier conversation to say, can I buy this for you instead of, can I give you this? Can I go home, pick up my vacuum, and meet you in New Carlisle on Thursday? God said, I want you to be obedient. I don't believe that faith is living in your abundance. It is living in a place that God is required to show up. Are you willing to begin to take simple steps of obedience serious today? So some major points. The power of God often manifests itself when obedience is established in faith. Number two, we are qualified through Christ, not your past or your opinions. Number three, God does not seem to answer the prayers anyone but me. Oh, anyone but me, God. That's a nice gesture. Anyone but me, God. 
it's nice of you to pray for other people, but God's not going to answer those prayers. And if you read this story, when you go to Exodus 24, God is so frustrated with Moses. Guess what he says? I'm getting ready to kill this dude. When you read past that, you're like, you're reading so fast, and I'm hardly reading. So I'm like, thank you, someone. You read past that, and you're like, oh, that was uh, my education. I read that wrong. No, God was ready to destroy Moses in verse 24. We're not going there today. I want you to go home and read it. God was ready to take him out. Obedience. If Moses would have just been obedient, he wouldn't have had him placed in the position to have God so furious at him. And as Christians, you know what our value should be? Not that Jesus died on the cross so I'm forgiven and I can do whatever I want, but knowing that my disobedience infuriates and disappoints and um, basically murders Christ on the cross. He died for those sins. And we should have this position within our heart that doesn't want to do those things. So if that's you today, if you say, you know what, I want more of the simple, simple obedience. Those who are not childlike um, will not inherit the kingdom of God. We have to become like children again. We have to be able to do some of these simple things. Put your left hand in, right? Shake it all about. So what are some things God might be calling you to? So if that's you today, if you want to be able to hear God's voice a little bit more, if you're like, God, I want to hear these things that you're calling me to be obedient to. And God, I, I want greater strength. I want greater strength to be obedient. Because you are who I want to serve, not myself. If that's you today, then I ask that you would stand with me. And as you stand with me, then we're just going to pray. And it's just, um, it's just a confession to Christ that I want to hear you more. I want to be more obedient. God, we thank you for those who are standing today. You see in our hearts, and you know in our hearts, God, that, um, that we do really want to serve you. We want to serve you well. We want to hear good and get in here, you good and faithful servant. Make it clear to us with these simple areas of obedience. Help us know where to start with reading your word, with trying to give more, trying to be generous. God, with running from lusts and sins. God, help us hear your voice more acutely this week and give us strength, Father, to be obedient. Provide us opportunities even today. I just see opportunities happening even after church to be obedient. So God, make those opportunities very clear to us. Paying for someone's meal, uh, blessing someone, getting someone's gas, helping someone in their car, giving someone a book, whatever it may be, Father. Stir it up in someone. In Jesus' name, amen.